Hello, gentle listener. Hello, violent and psychotic listener. Hello, listener. This is 5radiointernational.com, and you're listening to The Bookworm. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm also here with your host... Nympha Hayes. On today's show, we'll be talking about books, because we are The Bookworm. <laughs> Coming up, I'll be talking about Eisenhorn by Dan Abnes, and... I'll be talking about Santo Olivia by Jacqueline Carey. We'll also quite cheerfully and happily be talking about book news and we have some uh, comic book creators that we'll be talking to in the middle of the show. Uh, All of that, but coming up next, the book news. Those hands are playing the strangest musical instrument in the world. The only instrument that is not touched by hand. You ask for it. So, uh, first bit of exciting good news. Um, Anne Leckie, uh, that Hugo Award-winning author, has um, got a book optioned. Indeed, and Celery Justice uh, is up for a TV show. Now, now, don't get too excited because oh. it is being produced by Fox. So, so one series yes. of ten yeah. episodes, and then we won't get any more. Thrown out of order. Poos. But we're not, not still bitter. We are. We are. <laughs> no. no, we are. Um, Very much. Uh, like you said, that the option did not guarantee that the program would be made, but it said <laughs> it seems <laughs> it's it Fox. <laughs> she knows. She knows. But given the fact that there's a lot of science fiction on its way, it seems quite likely. Uh, Ancillary Justice is a cracking piece of space opera. Uh, Ancillary Sold is out in the shops at the moment. Um, it's 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 just it's big, loud, bold space opera. I think it's just the sort of thing we need, to be mm. honest. I th- yeah, we, we we haven't really had anything that big and loud and wonderful since Babylon 5. <laughs> Well, I suspect that someone in Fox is looking at the fact that Disney is about to go all Star Wars all the time. Yes. And you know, and so thought, eh. suddenly everything's going to be space opera. And pass, pass me a cash cow, I must milk it. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you know, they are other. They I are don't other, care. I still love it. I love you, George. Well, the, there are other space operas in production as a yes. response to Game of Thrones. So, it, but a lot of those are more kind of sedate, styley things, based on much more. You know, grand but more human-based. Mm-hmm. Risen Louis Justice is space opera with spaceships that go boom. So yeah, it could be quite good. Um, Fingers crossed. What else is happening in the world of the boot news? Oh, Enid Blyton's magic faraway tree is Ble- going to the cinema. Please don't mess it up. Please don't mess it up. Please don't mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> I love these books when I was a kid. Oh. I read them loads. I've got it all in my head what it should look like. Neil Street Productions, which is Sam Mendes' uh, production company, oh. critically are behind the theatre production of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Fingers crossed, mm. then. Mm. It, it could be it could be very, very good indeed. Um, I think they, they certainly know how to handle child actors. They certainly know how to present the story in that way. My concern is it's going to be terribly BBC. Okay. Well, and that's it, not a bad thing. The BBC does some wonderful adaptations. Mm. That's true, and it is Edith Blyton. I can't think of any any other kind of production organization that could you know that could get get away with that sort of thing. The it thing is, you'd expect they would get her, and you'd expect that visually 
they would be quite faithful to the box. So I'm, I'm, I'm positive. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm remaining positive, um, and I'm looking forward to my daughter watching it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm pulling the heartstrings, no. ladies and gentlemen. No. Um, the more exciting news. More exciting news. Well, well, interestingly, there's this is magazine called Starburst Magazine. Uh, which you might Welcome to the Book Room, an association with Starburst Magazine. <laughs> you might be familiar with, because you've probably got to us via Starburst Magazine. What you might not know is that they have a short story section, um, which appears, uh, there's two pages of the magazine, is dedicated to a short story, about 1,200 words, uh, edited by uh, the Gay Agenda's own Rylan Cavell. Um, for, for those of you going what? Well, Rylan presents a show on Fab Radio called The Gay Agenda. Uh, he's also the Thursday's original. Thursday's 11. Mm. He, he's also the um, editor of the short stories. So, Matt's story, um, stories must be 100% your own material, previously unpublished, between 800 and 1600 words in length. Uh, there are versions of online that can be any length, but obviously you'd need to apply separately. Um, if published, obviously, Starburst will retain the copyright, uh, but any further use beyond the above will naturally be subject to renegotiation. Uh, well, obviously, every effort is made, the demands of the submissions persist uh, that it is difficult to offer critiques. So if you don't get a full briefing back That's on they've why... they've had 2,000 entries. Exactly. And the guy has another four jobs. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's a, it's an incredible opportunity mm-hmm. to get out there. Starburst sells, you know, a quarter of a million copies it's a fantastic magazine it's very very cold a lot of people love it and you know you could be in it you know i actually have no idea how many, many issues it sells but um don't say that is, you can say that um but yeah it's very popular it's been around mm. since the 1977 um it's it's a bit fab mm. um, it, it is a bit fab and he's you know, he's been very good so, so far, the short stories. Mm. He says biasedly because I got published the last year. <laughs> and so, um, no zombies. Yeah, no, we'll no, do, yeah, no zombies, please. Yes. What we'll do is we'll put a link with the, with um, the stuff. Um, email address and the details on our page. Uh, so check it out. And if you've got a little, uh, obviously, a little story, you can find about how to publish it. Uh, on Starburst through the Bookworm social media on Twitter Radio Bookworm on Facebook Radio Bookworm on Tumblr Radio Bookworm and we're also on Mixclouds and we are also on iTunes please please comment submit like our posts talk to us about your favourite books talk to us about your most love hated us. books talk to us I love us love us <laughs> if playwriting is more of your thing if you're that sort of writer then the Bruntwood Prize uh, for 2015, will be announced. Will be opening in January. They're doing sort of a soft pre-launch thing. Um, if you win, your play will get produced at the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester, which is where we are based, um, and possibly transferred elsewhere. Now, a bit of insider knowledge. I know somebody who has previously won the Bruntwood. Oh, uh, yeah, name dropping, yeah. are we now? I'm not going to tell you who it is. Um, <laughs> his play transferred, I believe, to London. It transferred to somewhere in Sweden. Ooh. He's written a couple of follow-up things. It's been a really good launch for him. Um, some of the other stuff has been really good. Um, there was a woman um, who wrote, I think Mogadishu is the one um, that's written by the former teacher. Mm. Um, which is, is Vivian sort of, Fansman. Yeah, has raised a lot of um, interesting debate mm. about its subject matter. Um, so yeah, if you're thinking about writing something, again, we'll put all the links to this on the social media. Um, 
submissions will close roughly about next May, if, assuming they have the same schedule as they did in 2013. Um, I think you get some cash as well if you win, so that's always nice as a writer. Oh, yeah. And if you're wondering why Ed's a little bit quiet this morning... <laughs> it could be producer Al, because he had loads to drink last night for his birthday. birthday. Happy oh, oh. birthday to you. <laughs> Gentle, gen- gentle listener, I am 39 years young. I'm also 39 years old. Um, <laughs> and the old's winning right now. Right now. <laughs> the old is winning. Um, in case you've ever stopped and wondered and gone, my goodness, he's read an awful lot of books. I'm very old. <laughs> That's why I... I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> there is no such thing as very old. You're just as old as you feel. So today you're very old, but tomorrow you might be 13. There's there's so many dodgy things I could say at that point. But I, I <laughs> Let's move on. But um, you you, uh, you you may want to guess what I got for my birthday. You can contact us via social media and say what I got for my birthday. If it's anything other than books. Basically, I got to build another wall this time around, um, or out of books. Uh, we, we don't bother with shelves anymore. We just you nah. know, have a teetering stack. It's fine. Um, <laughs> hopefully, I'll build a, an extension out of books to put the books in, which is very good indeed. Um, I have a little bit more book news before. Ooh, before we uh, Angry Robot have um, Angry Robot have just you know literally been uh, kind of. Uh, left Osprey and joined an exciting new organisation uh, have signed two uh, two new books um, from an author called Alec Helms and the first title will be called The Dragons of Heaven which sounds fantastic so uh, we'll look forward to we'll look forward to that's vaguely reminiscent of Dragonlands The Dragons of Heaven uh, it could be actually because yeah because that they had that sort of title as well. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it says uh, if you insist, it's a superhero, pulp, kung fu, magician, fantasy, mystery, adventure. I, I, was, I you got me at superheroes. So we'll we'll find out what that is all about. Maybe we'll get into triangle robot. Do you think superheroes nice is going to be the next big thing in books, not in comics or or graphic novels, but in books? Because yeah. there aren't enough, I don't think. There's um, not enough stories about superheroes in, in full-length novels. There, there are some quite good ones. Adam Christopher wrote some quite good superhero-style tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also always uh, Soon I Will Be Invincible, which is one of my favourite superhero stories. But you're, And obviously Wild Cards, which is George Orwell Martin's pet True. project. But yeah, they are um, they, they do kind of stand alone. Because yeah, it's, it's stand alone and also a lot of short stories. I mean, I've, I've stumbled upon some really good ones um, in... In, in anthologies, but I've not really found, you know, a, a gripping, nice, interesting series. Uh, and and really, there should be people out there that want to write about superheroes. I think one of the things is that I they, want to write about superheroes. I think one of the things is that they kind of inevitably are drawn towards the comic book medium to to write about superheroes. So a lot of superhero stories are found in comic book format rather than in in novel format. But certainly, certainly they do exist. They're just not as yeah, no, no. The, 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 I, I am, I mean, pleading out there, publishers of the world, we need a superhero novel era. That's what we need next. You know, get some cool superhero books and series out there for next for the next couple of years. I'm, I'm intrigued. I wanna, I wanna read that. I think I might dig out my copy of Temps, uh, which was edited <laughs> by Neil Gaiman of all people. <laughs> um, awesome. And he did. A, it was a bit kind of like a bit like a British Wild Cards. 
Um, the idea being that uh, people just people had mutant powers, and it was just a thing. Mm. And it was only until the modern age when we realised that they, they kind of existed that we kind of uh, formalised them. And there was an EU regulation that said you had to be registered. And it, it basically it, all it all it actually meant was it meant that you um, you en- you ended up you know, you were registered, mm-hmm. and it meant you got a little bit more in your door if you were unemployed, and it meant the government could call you to do things. But most people had rubbish superpowers, so they could make like green lights appear and this sort of thing. And anyone who had decent superpowers went to America to become a star. Of course. So it was very kind of English, shall we say. All, all the superhero stories were about people who really did desperately underachieve. Oh, news! Um, and it was quite fun. And they did they did uh, temps and they did Euro temps, which was the broader world, as it were. You know what? Even what I would be happy with um, is it a light form, or like uh, Metal Made Flash that you reviewed? No, last? goodness, no! It's a proper series of novels. No, no, but I mean, I would oh, be like happy with with a series like that, whereas you got you know the story, and then you got some amazing panels of of you know of designs with 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 a proper um, you know visual of it. Uh, which could be, you know, a, a, a visual of the superhero doing something super cool. So if you're out there and you've written a really cool super superhero story, just just you know, this might be just your time. Point point us in our general di- in, point us in your general direction, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, shall we get away from the news and talk about? I'm going to be talking about someone who definitely isn't a superhero. I'm going to be talking about Grigor Eisenhorn and the Eisenhorn series written by Dan Abnett. We'll be back after these messages. Embrace the alternative. Hello, everybody. By the by, if you tuned in expecting a Sherlock Holmes special, which we did talk about doing, uh, it's going to be next week um, because there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that we wanted to get ready and read by the time it came to the show, and I had an inconvenient birthday. <laughs> so it's it's going to be amazing because you know it's it, Holmes. We all love it. It shall be fantastic, but it is not today. Today we will be talking about Eisenhorn by the lovely Mister Dan Abnett. Um, he he who kills your favorite characters. So what there's many of those. You're gonna be you're gonna have to be a bit more specific there. <laughs> so okay, so uh, Eisenhorn is uh, an anthology. It's three books and one. Um, I strongly recommend that you just pick up the Eisenhorn one, uh, which has um, the first three books all incorporated into it. So you're sitting there going. What on earth are you talking about? What's an Eisenhorn? Well, it's all from the world of Warhammer 40k. So if you're not familiar with Warhammer 40k, it's kind of like Star Wars upside down. Um, rather, than, rather than the Emperor being a bad guy, the Emperor's dead, but he's still on his golden throne and he still rules. And everything's gone a bit dark ages. So we've got this hyper-technology uh, society. They've got intergalactic travel. But it's all gone into darkness and it's all gone into kind of dark ages, ignorance and heresy. But unlike unlike the real world dark ages where we didn't have much technology, this is a civilization that has spaceships and laser guns and trans-dimensional techniques, all sorts of stuff. It's got really, really, really cool technology. Unfortunately, no one understands it. And the people who do understand it 
pretty much worship the technology because uh, technology has, has so far advanced from their, their, their level of understanding now that they have to have a kind of reverential approach because it's, it's one thing to not be able to operate a mobile phone it's another thing that if that mobile phone might, by pressing the wrong button, suddenly turn into an AI that then wipes out your entire civilization. So, you know, they, they have a kind of interesting approach. So what we have is a very um, a pangalactic space opera society that has lost itself, it's lost its way. Also, unfortunately, the intergalactic space travel... Well, they have to rip a hole in hell to get from A to B. This upsets the creatures that live in hell, and they've spilled out into the cosmos. And not only have they spilled out into the cosmos, but they've also tried to corrupt humanity. So humanity is literally fighting the forces of hell due to its own ignorance. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, you have inquisitors. You have ladies and gentlemen who who fly around the, the, the galaxy trying to deal with the horrific consequences and there's like a handful of them there's compared to the billions and billions of people that live across the galaxy there's not many inquisitors so they're pretty much overworked and they're given ultimate ultimate utter ultimate power they can do anything they like if you're an inquisitor you can just turn up on a planet and say i want your army i want your army i want your space fleet i want everything because i think there's a demon somewhere here and i need to beat it up so and that's what they do so, Eisenhorn is an Inquisitor, and he starts off, Grigor starts off, and he's, he's young, and he's vibrant, and he's got a bunch of, he's got a bunch of jolly, jolly cutthroats who runs around and does various, various bits and pieces, and they, they're investigating a conspiracy that spans literally the galaxy in order to try and prevent atrocity. So every single thing that they, every single thing that they do, every single thing that Gregor is trying to do, is that he is desperately trying to stop the growing corruption. The first sequence of stories, um, Gregor is right up against. He's a young man, and he is right up against an older, wiser, stronger, more powerful Inquisitor. Regrettably, this Inquisitor has also become utterly, utterly corrupt. Um, and there is a back and forth as they literally battle each other, um, manipulate various sides. They have each have allies. Some some of his allies are fantastic. You have have everything from bitter, hardened space cops to <laughs> to you know beautiful dancers with blades. Um, you know psychics, dapper gentlemen with, with fantastic abilities and powers. He has. An entourage who support him in all his activities. What this is essentially is a space cop story with a conspiracy element. The first book is a little bit name of the rules in the sense that you have, you know, we have this this corrupt inquisitor versus this not so much corrupt inquisitor, and in the middle we have a demon called Sherabel. And Sherabel is a demon that's been bound into a human form, and demons are incredibly powerful in this world, and they can rip through reality if they need to. Obviously. Obviously, in the first book, Gregor deals with it. Gregor deals with it for the love and for the duty of mankind. Unfortunately, power corrupts. Eisenhorn is a staggering two to force. 
Um, the, the three novels that it comprises of in the trilogy, and seriously, just read them all as one one whole. Don't 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 just pick up one and go. Oh, I don't know if I like it. Get the omnibus. Read the whole thing. Um, there's little short stories that intersperse between each each piece, and there's another series of trilogies called Ravenor, which we'll go into at some point as well. Mm. Um, there's three actually. There's 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 Eisenhorn, which is complete. Ravenor, which is complete. And there's the Beckwin series, which hasn't been given a full name yet because it's not been completed. But the Beckwin series kind of intersperses between the two. Eisenhorn, is the, your first character, Ravenar, is his um, protégé. Mm. And the Beckwin series basically promises to be Eisenhorn versus Ravenor. Um, because as we say, power does, in fact, corrupt. If you've ever looked at 40k and you think I like the idea of space opera I like the idea of gothic space opera but I don't know where to start start with Eisenhorn um, it's a fantastic fantastic book So you sound really excited about it I, I really do like it and I hope I've given it a kind of it's one of those things where I kind of don't want to give away too many spoilers mm. I don't even want to talk about too many of the characters yes unsurprisingly a lot of them do die that's not a spoiler that's just what you should expect with this sort of world <laughs> um just don't get attached. Basically. Don't don't get attached. Um, <laughs> it it sounds like 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 it sounds really cool actually. I, I've I've sort of looked at forty k in the past, thinking eh, that's just a game. I'm it, not sure what the universe presents, but actually listening to that now, I kind of do want to pick that up. It, so. It's very gothic and it's very dark. One of the criticisms that, that sounds good. <laughs> one of the criticisms that forty k fans have of Dan Abner is sometimes he kind of goes slightly past the expectations of the world. So he'll uh, he'll explain certain elements of the Warhammer forty k world, and people will be like, "Well, hang on, that's not the the mainstream," and that's because most of the forty k books are about the war because it's Warhammer. Yes. Um, whereas out of necessity, Dan has had to explain the more domestic side of things well so, I mean again because because the game and, and the books that revolve around that are just about the war it kind of seems like there's not much in terms of of world building but actually obviously as you say you know if you're writing a novel with characters etc and you you're taking these characters through different um experiences you're going to have to give a little bit more and the challenge that you have there is that when you're building this world you you have to build it a world at a time and this is a galactic story yes so what is so there's there's one city there's one world in uh, the Eisenhorn series where they have cars that fly because that world has cars that fly because the technology exists there mm. it doesn't exist anywhere else in the 40k universe it's no. the only it's the only planet where they can get away with it and it is kind of explained as to why that's like there, and it's unique to that, pretty much unique to that world. But that's good storytelling, you know. Yes, you've got a, a limited amount of information to work with because what's mainstream is mainly based on one aspect of of the galaxy that you're working within. But it doesn't stop you from, as you say, creating a world with, with flying cars, as long as you can, you know, give an explanation of why this place would have it and how would that fit with the rest of the world. One of the things with Black Library books is that a lot of Black Library books tend to be, Black Library the publisher, by the way, uh, one of the, they tend to be trying to sell you a specific Warhammer product. Um, this was originally imagined to sell you the Inquisitor game, but the Inquisitor game kind of had 
been and done, mm. and these books were much better than the the, the game itself. <laughs> so so it's kind of it's moved on much more from that, and you can so tell, and it so benefits from just allowing a talented author because this you know Dan it's the guy who's partially behind Guardians of the Galaxy, which is one of the most successful movies of all time. You know, mm-hmm. um, his characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie are were his uh, in the. So the characters in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie are his characters that he wrote into the comic book. So it is partially his fault that it's been so successful. <laughs> so, you know, you've got a good pedigree there. You're going to yeah. be fine. So if you've ever gone, oh, well, Black Library seems big and scary, start with Eisenhorn. It's a big, thick book, but you'll be fine. Coming up next, interview with the comic heroes. Comic heroes! Across the world, 24 hours a day. This is Fatboyian International. So, I caught up with a couple of likely Geordie lads uh, who've been doing some great guns in the world of comic books um, and they're producing some fantastic stuff out there. Uh, they just come back from the Lakes, Lakes Comic Festival and they had some great stuff to tell me. So, coming up next, the Comic Heroes. This is Fab Radio International. Lee Robinson and Danielle Clifford, welcome to the Bookworm. So, tell me all about your latest project. Um, well, we have been working together for a couple of years now, but we've just put out, well, we're launching it tomorrow, an anthology called Endangered and More Strange Stories, which has a, a time travel and vet in it, a cowboy who's a bit like a Robin Hood style cowboy, um, a story about a youth group who go on a residential to a castle, and there's a monster in there, and the last story is called Birds of Prey, and it's basically Father Ted with pigeons. So, why have you gone for uh, a kids' approach? Why have you gone for kids' comics? Uh, well, we we run workshops uh, at schools and libraries around the northeast, sometimes a bit further afield. Um, and we've worked with about three thousand young people now, I think, in about like two and a bit years. So, obviously, we get lots of like inspiration from them, and I think we just kind of wanted to. I think that's our audience, and we just wanted to give something back, I guess. What are the challenges that you face when you work with kids? Hmm. In <laughs> Varies a lot. I mean, lo- lots of them are sometimes work with young people or like who maybe like have special needs or kind of um, maybe like underprivileged backgrounds. But Daniel and I have both got kind of experience working with those kind of people from from like other jobs and previous jobs. So yeah, I used to be a youth worker and now I work in an, an arts organisation and do some work with well people from the area that I live in, which is South Shields, which is uh, kind of it's got, got very deprived areas in it. Um, so. Yeah, we've got experience to work with all sorts of young people, which really helps with our workshops. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I worked with, like, special needs kids for, like, a long time. Um, so I'd say, like, really, like, nothing, like, phases us massively. We've never had a, you know, a workshop that's gone come, uh, completely terribly. And uh, everyone normally comes out the, uh, the other side, like, really enjoying it. Even if, you know, at the start, they're a bit like, oh, don't do this, don't want to do this, you know. Then they'll come out and they'll... They would have had a good time. Normally, I think we've got just about a 100% hit rate, I would say. Yeah. We've had lots of workshops that start badly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the risk of sounding like a grumpy old man, um, do kids even know what comics are these days? 
Yes. Um, more maybe more through films, like maybe than than actual comics. Yeah, and I think a lot of kids that we meet have an interest in comics, and they'll tell us that they love comics. When we say which ones, they won't know because they probably have read one comic before, or they've got yeah. a, a vague interest, but they don't know where to find them. They have they've only read what's been handed to them. So that's what kind of what our workshops are for. We're, we're able to go right in front of them, tell them all about comics, get them making their own comics, and then sometimes we give away free kind of uh, all ages comics, or they can buy our comics as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there tends to always be like kind of a group of kids in every class in school who maybe are like into manga and stuff, uh, maybe more so than comics. You know, there's normally like a group of friends who just kind of, uh, yeah, who, who maybe, especially around like Gateshead, we found there's quite a lot of kind of like manga um, events and stuff. So there's, I think. Um, no, so it's either those kind of kids or the kids who like know them from like maybe films and stuff like Marvel films and that I would say. And kind of more than in the last couple of years, we're seeing more kids who read the Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and we've had one strip in the Phoenix, so sometimes they they recognise uh, our names. <laughs> yeah, 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 sometimes. Um, talking about the Phoenix, um, what is it like to work on the the Phoenix? Because it's a it's a remarkable kids comic. Please? Yeah, I mean, we had we had a, we had a really good time working for the for the Phoenix. I mean, we we first met them at, um, at Fort Bubble, I think, like two years ago. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, Tom. So there's Tom and Will who are, are brothers. Because um, it's, it's obviously it's a family run kind of a comic, which is which is a nice thing to have. And uh, and I mentioned that we you know we like we'd like to pitch them because we, we our stall was right next to theirs, um, and we got chatting, and then. I don't know if we had a few different ideas, but the one that we kind of... Daniel had an idea that he'd, he'd done a strip previously called Bianca's Bicycle, which was about a, a girl who had a magical bike. Is that right, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. The yeah, girl, yeah. The, a girl with the fastest bike in town. Yeah, yeah, so she had, the, she had like, the fastest bike, and then she was racing, like, this kind of, like, some other, like, lads who... Or one of a lad. Um, and then we... So we kind of, like, thought, well, let's, let's try and do this again, because that's quite... Like, lots of kids ride bikes... Um, so it was kind of like yeah, that's a bit of a common ground, and so we adapted it, sent it away, and they they really liked it, but wanted some changes, so we kind of did it again. And then it, I mean, the whole process took quite a long time to get like into the Phoenix, um, but it was well well worth it. Oh yeah, definitely. We got like really good reception, and and this and the by creators and and the readers as well. And it, um, it, the good the good thing for me it was good training, uh, learning how to put a story into just. Four pages. Uh, I thought that I could do that before, and I definitely learned the hard way that I didn't quite get it. Um, but yeah, just kind of really streamlining the story so that everything in there was was necessary to tell the story, and there wasn't things that were kind of distracting or that people would get lost with. And it, that was really good training for then doing this strip, which although I haven't got a four page, uh, this comic sorry, though I haven't got a four page strip, we've got a one pager. Eight pages and then two, two ten-page stories. Yeah, I mean, we don't. We normally get uh, put together at, with the Phoenix at like conventions at Fort Bubble and, and places like that because kind of we both attract like a similar audience, so we kind of work off each other. Um, so we've got a good, really good relationship with them, and and hopefully in the future, you know, we'll we'll, we'll do some more as well. That's the plan. But it was just great because, like like we say, we've met so many kids who who like the Phoenix, and we've been um, telling everybody how good it is for. For the last couple of years as well, so it was really good to be able to go. Oh, and now we've been in it as well. Mm-hmm. What is the future of British comics? Wow, that is a big question. 
Um, it seems like in the last couple of years, everything has been going really well. There's more people making really good quality comics than ever, and I think that's uh, because it's so easy to get your stuff out there now, and there's so you see other people doing great stuff, and it makes you raise your game. Um, and that's definitely the case for us when we go to comic conventions and festivals and what have you we see other people and see the really good quality work that they're doing and it makes us want to do stuff that's that's even better um, not in a competitive kind of way but more better than our ourselves um, so I think that things are getting really good and there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more all ages stuff and I don't know it's just a big variety a lot of variety of comics um yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd agree. I think there's... Sorry, Daniel, I interrupted you there. Right. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, like, a kind of big push from lots of different creators, um, like, from the Phoenix, but also from, you know, there's still some still good stuff in the Beano. And there's lots of young creators as well, like, making comics, who we see at, uh, at conventions. Um, last year, there was uh, Zoom Rockman, who is, does uh, Skanky Pigeon in the Phoenix, I think. And, sorry, the Beano, I believe. Um, and then there's Team Ketchup, who we just met at the Lakes uh, last week, and they're kind of like just like young, kind of like kids, like 12, 13, making comics and getting like and getting them published. And I think that's the way to kind of to kind of create this next generation of readers and creators as well. I would say, um, but but it's always hard because we're like looking in from the creator side, so it's hard to see what kids like really think of them, whether they whether they want it, they look at comics and and if they'll put down their you know Xbox controller or whatever to go and pick up a comic. But I hope so, and I do think it's some fantastic material coming out like well, the best that I've seen if you look at um, last last weekend we were at the the lakes and we were in a shopping centre running um, drop in workshops and we took 40 copies of our comic and we sold 40 copies of our comic in the first day and a couple of hours on the second day and that was just due mainly to people who had never really read comics before people who like I was saying with workshops earlier on um, people who like comics but haven't necessarily collected them or, or read lots of them. So I think there's a there's a kind of hunger for it out there. It's just that the supply isn't getting to the demand, and that's the good thing about all these British comic creators who are do, who are doing workshops, whether they're in schools or at festivals or at kind of special places like the Story Museum and Seven Stories and places like that. Is it? Is it a feature of the northeast of England? Because you've got Phil Buchan, you've got Jack Fallows, you've got Brian Talbot, Talbot just up the road. Why Why are there so many comic creators, British comic creators, in the north? Because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> I think there's a big uh, there's a, there's a big thing in in the northeast recently, especially kind of along Tyneside, where the industries that we were known for have kind of died away a bit, and it's been replaced by the cultural industries, so you've got the Sage and the Baltic, Live Theatre, Customs House, Seven Stories, everything like that, and it really is a case of we've got all these artists and all these creative people. I think uh, the the beautiful kind of uh, landscape that we've got here, we've got beautiful uh, coasts, but also lovely kind of um, rural land, especially kind of where Lee lives in, in Northumberland, and it means that there's all this inspiration, but there's also kind of hard times in towns and cities as well so there's there's lots of different inspiration so i think that uh, i think that's that's what it is and i think when you're poor as well which a lot of people are here and this is definitely the case for me you 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 grow up learning to make your own entertainment so make your own stories up and it i can see a straight line 
between me being sat on my nana's um, table in her kitchen with a tape recorder where they're telling us to make up stories and making comics now. I can see a straight line between that. So I think that the the because of um, being quite poor and having to make your own entertainment, it makes that creative part of your brain really start running. However, I would say that the something that I've noticed about the Northeast comic creators is that it's not necessarily come together in a way that maybe like the Glasgow scene has. Everyone in Glasgow seems to help each other out. And I think here we're all, there's lots of people who are friends, but we're all kind of shy away and make our own stuff and then come together at, we kind of see each other more maybe at Thought Bubble or on one of those other kind of conventions than we do um, locally. Um, <coughs> sorry. If you had the opportunity to work on a major comics project for someone else, so you know a major publisher or a major franchise, what would it be? Penny Crayon. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe Penny Crayon. Like there was, there's, um, there's a, a a group on Twitter at the moment called Daily Doodle. I think it's just at Daily Doodle, and they post a topic, a new topic every uh, every day. And I think one week was like '80s cartoons. And I posted a penny crayon drawing, and it was like by far the most popular thing that I've ever received just on Twitter. And then it just got us thinking, hey, wouldn't penny crayon be like pretty cool to like bring back? Because it's quite a cool concept, like having a pen that or a crayon that you can that you can draw on a wall, and anything will come to life. And I think they only made about eight episodes of it. Um, it's simple, and it kind of sums it up everything about what we do and what we try to to do with young people as well. That yeah. we're um, making something from nothing. It's kind of the magic of creativity. So I think that that maybe that's not as major as as <laughs> to to other people as it is to us, but we're both big fans of that cartoon. Um, yeah. That that is something that we'd like to do. But we've also we're we're working uh, we've been working away on a an idea for the past couple of years, um, kind of in the background behind all of the important stuff that we've had to do, and we're going to start pitching that early next year. So there's a there's a an idea that we've got that we're going to start getting out there soon. Yeah. I think we, we both think it's a winner. It's just like it wasn't the right time. Like we, like I said, we didn't have time, and maybe it wasn't the right time, but I think now after launching like Endangered, we kind of feel that we're at a point where our work's like at a standard, where we can like really do this justice. Yeah, this is the first long kind of form um, colour work that we've done, because everything that we've done in the past has been um, black and white, and the only other colour piece that we've done together is is the tracks that was in the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And so this has taught us a lot about um, putting a really good full-colour comic together, but also about having some adventure stories that appeal to a wider audience. So I think that this comic has is, is been good, kind of proven ground um, for what we're going to go on to next. Yeah, but I don't think... Um, I don't think we're that interested in taking on a big kind of name property. We're more interested in doing our own thing. Although a couple of years ago when we were first getting started, we did really want to do like a Damien Wayne um, <laughs> kids Batman book, but uh, <laughs> he did. Yeah, I mean, because everything that we've put, everything that we've printed so far, we've kind of uh, like financed ourselves, like through the workshops. Um, and so, like that's that's initially why the first comics we did were black and white, and whereas this one we did like some we did some big projects over the summer at Newcastle and Gateshead libraries, uh, like some summer schools, um, and the kind of the money from that is like helping 
paid towards the printing cost of our new comic. Um, so like, so this is the first time we've had it in colour, and it's quite a kind of. Uh, so I think that's why, that's why we're really proud of it. Yeah, big print run. Like we're getting like a thousand copies printed, which anyone who's done self-published like will know that's quite a lot of uh, boxes in your house. So um, yeah, so we're kind of really like pushing this one, and we'll give it, it's really reasonably priced. We think anyway. Yeah. Um, and how can I get my hands on the book? Um, at rtrose.co.uk or rtrose.bigcartel.com. And we'll, and we'll be at conventions like Fort Bubble um, coming up in this November if anyone's in Leeds. And uh, 15th to 16th of November. Three very silly questions just to finish off, if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, firstly, Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Simpsons. Although Futurama does have an episode with Beck in, which started me off listening to Beck, so got a soft spot for Futurama <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's a close one, it's a close one. Dandy or the Beano? Beano. Beano. It was all I hated the Dandy when I was a kid. My brother got the Dandy and I got the Beano and I hated <laughs> it. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth or beauty, did you say? Yeah. Truth? Although that's almost an insult to my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say... I'll both. say a little bit of both. Yeah, I'll, yeah, a little bit of both as well. Sorry, I couldn't. I'm split down the middle. Uh, Daniel and Lee, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, No problem, mate. Thanks so much. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. So, welcome back. Uh, you're listening to the Bookworm on Fab Radio International. That was... Ed's interview with the Comic Heroes. Uh, very, very cool interview. Thank you very much for that, Ed. S- special thanks to Dan and Lee. They're lovely lads. And um, we'll put links to uh, their project on the website. Yay. On social, social media. media. So Facebook, Twitter, all of those wonderful places. Tumblr, uh, where you can find us and comment and like and, and follow us. And yay. Um, so following up, we had a, a, um, a sort of like a really strange show. But I think there's an undercurrent of, uh, you know, uh, sort of weird worlds and, and superheroes and, and weirdness in general. Um, my book for this week is called Santa Olivia. And it's by Jacqueline Carey, um, who's one of my favourite authors. Um, this one's a strange one to categorise. So the story follows um, Loop, Loop Garon, uh, and she lives in this tiny village called Santa Olivia. Uh, now, Santa Olivia is sort of like in the middle of an isolated mil- military buffer zone between Mexico and the United States. Um, it's, it's sort of like a nowhere place. You know, people don't go there and people don't live there they they're just there all the time all the time the same people and the only thing that changes is the the uh, different um soldiers that come and visit the 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 village for you know different needs like pop into the local cafe or checking out the young girls and things like that uh it has a bit of a sort of almost like a post uh, sort of warfare I wouldn't say apocalyptic, but certainly something's happening in the world. But you don't kind of know what until you explore the book further. And then there's a second book. It's actually a duology. Um, Santa Olivia and then Saints Astray. And uh, looks different. Um, she's born with special abilities. Her dad 
is uh, one of the very, very few, if not the only person that manages to get into Santa Olivia, meets Loop's mum, falls in love, um, and, you know, she's then born and he disappears. Uh, and her dad is actually um, a man that's been genetically manipulated by the government to be a weapon. He's uh, stronger, faster, uh, he has more stamina, heightened senses, and most of all, he lacks fear. More human than a human. <laughs> he, he, he can't, he's not afraid of anything. There's just, <coughs> fear is not just in his genetic constitution. And Loop sort of inherits this from him. So, you know, she's the, 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 the bravest and the silliest and all the things she does because she just doesn't have that block. So she's, she's taken care of by her brother, um, uh, who promises her mum, who dies almost of a broken heart, uh, when, when her dad disappears, goes, uh, dies. Um, and, um, and basically, this is the story of how Lup survives as an orphan with her brother and a little ragtag band of friends, uh, other orphans that are taken care of uh, by Padre Ramon, who um, sort of runs the local little church um and basically it's 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 the story of how loop struggles against this this military institution and the fact that they're basically prisoners in their own home they know nothing of the outside world only that they can't live because really bad things are happening outside uh and they need to be there for this military base to provide them with food and entertainment and anything else the only thing uh, that sort of happens that's exciting in Santa Olivia is the boxing matches that the the um, guy at the head of the military base uh, organises now and then between people from the village and s- selected soldiers of the base uh, to be to give a bit of entertainment. But also, if they managed, if a person from the village manages to beat a soldier, they basically get get to go. They get to leave. They get to, you know, go into the world and make their own life and not be prisoners. Um, so I don't want to give a lot away. That's just the premise. Um, and it's just, it's it's a wonderful book. It really is. There's a lot of emotion in it. It's really dusty. You can really feel like you f- you can almost taste this, this, this the the sand in the air of this little dry village lost in Mexico, uh, with a lot of people just you know having resigned to the fact that this is all that they'll ever know and all that they'll ever have is just their tiny little village and and this military base that prevents it from you know going and exploring the world. It sounds fascinating. Um, <laughs> How how you know is it is it how what is the world like? It, does it draw you in? I I really loved it, um, and I I normally don't, but I, I had a look at reviews um, because it's so different from what Jacqueline Carr has done in the past. I mean, uh, the Cushel series is is very much high fantasy in a in a sort of like Renaissance world, so nothing at all like like Santa Olivia. Uh, this is it. If reads like you know a modern day story so you could think it's in the future but actually could be happening right now um there's only little things that you think oh that sounds like it 
it could be in a few years time but even so there's a part of your brain that goes actually no that could be happening right now in the world and we would know nothing about it um it's it's um it can be a little slow in places but mainly because she does have a, a very thorough world building and character building i feel so when you're exploring there's a lot of inner monologue there's a lot of of about the emotions of loop and before loop we get to know her mother and you know she, the, the fact that she falls in love with with this strange man that just comes in and and then you know she ha- she already has a a child and then has loop and the interactions between loop and her brother and the way they take care of each other and care for each other and it is it can as i said feel a little slow in places uh, it's not a fast action packed book if you go into it don't expect that because you're not going to get it it's more about um reflections on humanity really and how how people that are different engage with the world and how the world sees them and finding acceptance as well in places where you never know you could find it um so I, it's a small village story but taken to a slightly more fantastic level yes definitely the second book because uh, as i said this is a duology santa olivia and saints astray um follows loop again as the world is sort of expanded so you get to see what's outside as well I'm, I, again i don't want to spoil it um but um both books work really well to see how how the main character interacts with the small world and then how the big world interacts with this young girl that you know is completely different and you know she's different you can just feel it um it it's it's a nice look at you know acceptance really that's that's i think what what the book tells you is you know people are different but actually are they shall we shall we move on to the next bit where we talk about fantastic things absolutely so what's the book and where can we get it uh, the book is called Santa Olivia it's uh, um, published by Grand Center Publishing and it's available you know you can order it in your bookstore if it's not already there or online uh, in your favourite places your independent bookstore should be able to get it for you quite easily and it's by the wonderful Jacqueline Carey Again, gentle listener, you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com, or more likely, you're listening to the Starburst podcast series. Um, I'm Ed Fortune. I'm here with Liam Hayes. and you've producer Al, and producer Al, and, and producer Al, and pretty much you've just missed the show. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so 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 we have things and stuff to talk. Excited about. chatter about books section. <laughs> um, yeah, we were just saying before that there's been a, a sort of like a light. Um, comment on superheroes uh, throughout the show 
um, and, and how I was crying out for a good superhero story. Actually, uh, Santa Olivia, which I've just reviewed by Jacqueline Carey, does have an element of superhero because obviously there's m- genetically modified people that have special abilities uh, and the main character does sort of take on the mantle of a, a, a straight vigilante dressed up and, you know, goes out and tries to help people and stuff. So there is an element of, a tiny element of superhero girl in it. Uh, which is quite cool. You could argue that there's actually a lot of superhero stories. They're just not called superhero stories. Yeah. Harry Potter's pretty remarkable. As, as a, as <laughs> but a that's hero. magic. It's different. It's different. I don't. I don't. I can't look at it. At, at, you know. I mean, the Echo Echo Benning series by um, the Echo Rising Benning, the Echo series by Danny Ware. Uh, the main character there is is remarkable. You know, Bond like a villain, uh, Bond like hero, Bond like villain as well, actually. Bond like hero, um, who can do fantastic things. He just doesn't wear a cape. So, you know, there, there is that whole argument almost mm. that you could say that there's not quite, that, that, that that's not quite there either. But maybe maybe it, it's a thing. As I say, I really like Temps, and I really like the Euro Temps, but the people involved went on to brighter and bigger things quite quite early on mm. so we maybe didn't get the same sort of wild cards-esque feel to it um, but th- no there has been a take on superheroes I just think that maybe because books are more books have that, that more diversity we don't get that as much yeah, I, I, I still would like publishers out there to sort of make it into a genre, you know, create a superhero novel genre, because I want to read it. I want to read about people with, with you know, particular abilities, whether they're genetically engineered by a government or, where, you know, innate things. Um, it just fascinates me. I, I, I love it. Well, alternatively, if you are, you know, if you're listening to the show and you, you've always wanted to write and you're looking for an idea... Maybe you should take advantage of NaNoWriMo and write your own superhero. <gasps> do it, do it. World, world of NaNoWriMo. If you don't know what that is, who are you? Why are you listening to this? And show? we'll put a link to it on the thing as well. Yes. So NaNoWriMo is a National Novel Writing Month. Um, we uh, put on recently on our Facebook page a thing from the New Statesman where someone was complaining about the, the festival that is NaNoWriMo. Uh, because a lot of people who don't normally write suddenly make a big deal about the fact that they're writing something and get very, very excited. And this happens every November, and it's a challenge, basically, for people to write a novel uh, that is at least 50,000 words. Now, there is an uncharitable thing where people who are established authors or do it every day are like, well, why are they making such a fuss? And it's because writing's really hard. It is. And a lot of people who are new to it want to scream it from the rooftops that they're working on their book. And that's fine. That's entirely fine. Let Never them. discourage anybody's art. No, no. And, and I think anything that encourages people to educate themselves uh, and, you know, writing requires a lot of, a, a lot of um, strong will. It's just literally a lot of strength of mind to sit down and get those words out and, and you know, make them uh, into something that means something. Whether it's just to you or it could be to a bunch of people or millions of people, does it really matter? You know, it, it's 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 your own expression, and you, you're taking the chance with so many of the thousands of people to, to to do that together. And as you say, scream it from the rooftops. You know, I'm writing something. I'm I'm putting my mind to it, and I'm gonna get something out that you know I'm gonna be happy with. What I would say about Nano is this: once you have finished your novel, and I strongly recommend you get it to eighty thousand words rather than fifty, because I know to win the challenge you only have to get fifty, but. You know, once November is over, 
keep writing. Just keep writing. Don't stop writing. Use the memento. Please, please, please edit your work. Once you've finished editing your work, put it in a drawer, give it a week, and then edit your work again. And continue to edit your work until your work is edited. Um, Are we running out of time? Yes. Oh, boo. So, yes, November is the time, that time of the year where everyone will sit down and think about ideas and possibly write a novel. If you're one of those, good luck. We hope you do really, really well. And, you know, maybe next year we could be talking about your book and reviewing it. Who knows? the world the real alternative fab radio international.com you can find this on video bookworm on twitter facebook tumblr and on mixcloud and also on starburst magazine via the itunes as well it's goodbye from me ed fortune and goodbye from me nympha hayes The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.